Welcome to Season 2 of Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Together, we wanted to create a safe space where everyone can learn more about our diverse communities, the complicated relationships we have with our culture, and how they intersect with feminism, queerness, disability, anti-racism, career choices, politics, and more. I'm Ariadne Mila, a Filipino-American from a small town on the southern border of Texas. And I'm Sherilyn Lee, a.k.a. Lazu, a new American originally from the only place a dodo bird ever lived, Mauritius. Before we get into our conversation with Tiffany, we have a couple of terms we'd like to define for you. First is allistic. That is just someone who is not affected by autism. The next is neurodivergent. Someone who is neurodivergent has some sort of variation to their neurology or overall brain structure. This is an overall term that can apply to a range of issues, including autism, ADHD, PTSD, Alzheimer's, dementia, epilepsy, Tourette syndrome, traumatic brain injuries, blindness, and deafness. We are running a giveaway for one of the items sold by Depot Markets, so if you'd like the details, be sure to tune in until the very end. And now, on to our conversation with Tiffany. Today, we are here with Tiffany Chow. In 2019, Tiffany moved home to Maui, Hawaii to become primary caregiver to her brother Christian, who was diagnosed with autism at five years old. Inspired by her brother's interest in jewelry and wanting to help him find a job, Tiffany created Depot Market, a retail business that provides jobs to other adults with disabilities like Chris. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is very cool. Tell us a bit about you and the story of Depot Market. So I am the eldest of three. I have two younger brothers. We were all adopted from different biological parents. Myself and our youngest brother, Parker, we were adopted from Seoul in South Korea. And then Chris, who was the inspiration for Depot Market, he was adopted from Cambodia. He was found in a food market that is called Depot Market, and I believe it's still there. And and at the orphanage, I think they called him Depo. And then my parents gave Chris, his middle name is Depo. That's the origin of where our business name came from. I thought it was a special piece of his history. I moved home in 2019 to take care of Chris. He's 32. And as soon as he started living with me, I realized that planning another adult's schedule every day, it's not that easy. <laughs> Filling someone else's schedule up every day that doesn't have a full-time job or isn't in school, it's really hard to fill up that time. And there aren't really a lot of job opportunities, let alone jobs that he would want to do available to him. There are a couple businesses here that will hire people like him to do bagging groceries, folding pizza boxes. There's nothing wrong with jobs like that because we have friends that do that. But it wasn't an interest of his and a lot of those jobs, they put people like Chris behind the scenes where you can't see them, you can't really interact with them. So that's an issue for me. And Chris and I both share an interest in jewelry design. And so a lot of the local hotels where we live, they invite local vendors and artists to sell their goods. And I was able to get us into one of the hotels here. And we've been doing that since 2019. It's just one day a week. And all the money in the beginning was going to Chris. So it wasn't Devil Market in 2019. But then we got flagged by Social Security and he was making too much money and he was going to end up losing some of his benefits, which would be really bad. So then that led me to starting our LLC and calling it Depot Market. And it was a bummer to not be able to give all of the money directly to Chris, but that's where the idea to hire other people like Chris, they're in pretty much the same situation that want a different type of job and are limited on 
how much they can make, stuff like that. That kind of led me to starting this business to help other people like Chris. That's, yep. <laughs> A long short story. Such a great story. I saw the jewelry that you guys make and it's so beautiful. So talk a little bit about the social security. I'm just learning about that, that how much you're restricted when you're on those benefits. Sure. And I clearly didn't know either at the time. I, I really didn't know that until we got flagged. So if you live in the United States and you have a disability, you are capped at $1,300 a month or you would start to lose your Social Security, different disability Social Security benefits, whether that's the dollar amount or for my brother in particular, could affect his Medicaid, which pays for a lot of his other programming and skills trainers, which would really be hard to pay for someone. You know, Chris has a skills trainer Monday through Friday, nine to three. So it'd be really hard to pay for that out of pocket. There are people that do have disabilities that do have full-time jobs. It just would adjust whatever benefits you're allowed to get. So it depends on the person and their situation, but that is the current amount you can make without losing anything. We do have a couple other people that work for us and what I've experienced is a lot of the parents don't really know, you know, they were hesitant to have their kid work for us because they didn't want to lose anything and because the rules can be unclear. From our TikTok, a lot of the comments are varied. The answers are varied because um, either there's a lot of misinformation. So yeah, it's a really tricky situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1300 is not a lot of money. What we would lose is money that Social Security is giving us, but it's not necessarily life-changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. One of our recent guests said that these laws have not been updated since they became in effect. So that's right. really long overdue. Especially if you have to pay rent or you're in an expensive city or something, it would be really, really hard. Yeah. That's a tough situation to deal with. It's really cool that you've been able to create a community where people can come and make jewelry and do something that they actually enjoy for work. Yeah, yeah it's been really great. Like I mentioned, we just sell once a week. Chris gets paid hourly. And then with the extra money that I've been saving in the Depo Market account, we will be opening a brick and mortar store in a few months. And the goal is to provide as many jobs as possible because there's so many people like my brother that want to work. And we've had to, I've learned a lot. And I think because I have a background in jewelry, I ignorantly didn't think what my brother was doing was that difficult. But then when I tried to train a couple other adults with Down syndrome and different diagnoses. They had a really hard time doing what Chris was doing. And so I've had to learn how to adjust because if we want to hire other people, we have to take into consideration that there are a lot of different skill sets out there. And so the idea is for if someone isn't able to do jewelry, then they can talk to the customers or we have them package the orders. And so it's been a really big learning experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how big is the team right now? Right now it's me and Chris. Chris used to go to a day program here and met a lot of people we have hired two, but like I said, it's just once a week. And our table is very small. It's hard to accommodate more than Chris at one time. So if Chris isn't there, we have a woman named Juna who will fill in for Chris. And then before we had a man named Nathan who has Down syndrome, who we've known forever. And he would talk to customers and pack drawers. But then I'm pregnant, so it was a little too stressful for me to kind of monitor both of them. So as soon as we open the store, then it's going to open a lot of doors for everybody. And we'll be able to have them on more, not necessarily full time because of the disability benefit limits, but more than just once a week. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool that you guys are doing that. So having worked with people who have disabilities and neurodivergencies, what would you say are some misconceptions that holistic people or able-bodied people have about the disabled 
That they can't do the same things as everybody else is probably the biggest thing. They might have to do things differently, and that's across the spectrum of whatever the disability is. I've had friends that can't see, and that went to an Ivy League grad school program. And in New York, I used to live in New York City, and she was interviewing at top companies that you've heard of. She was going on multiple second, third round interviews and she still wasn't getting hired. And there are these companies that are saying they want to make these changes and hire more diverse staff, but they're just, I think it's fear based on what they would have to change to accommodate someone that's different, fear that they can't do the same thing, but it's just not true. They might need to make a couple adjustments, but people are very capable of doing things and that's probably the biggest misconception. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that video you made about how you've set up Chris's apartment. And that was so cool. I had never seen an apartment set up like that. And you've made it possible for him to be more independent. That's really awesome. Thank you. I was not expecting there to be such a big response to that. I didn't really think it was that revolutionary. It was just something that we needed to figure out as a family. But it was really very cool to reach so many people and hear from so many families. So that was probably the coolest thing. I'm 36 and I think I'm too old to be on TikTok, but we've found a really great community of such supportive people and hearing from other families that, you know, if we could help in any sort of way at all just by seeing that video. Yeah, I really couldn't, didn't expect any. <laughs> it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm also in that same age group where I'm like, <laughs> am I too old to be on this app? But I don't know, there's a lot of cool videos. So yeah. yeah, I love TikTok. So I didn't know that you were adopted. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, what that experience yeah, sure. was like? So my mom passed away in 2020, but she's Italian-American and our dad is Chinese-American. They couldn't have kids of their own, so they adopted us. I'm the eldest and we're all separated by three years. Chris is three years younger than me and then our youngest brother, Parker, and Chris. And all from different biological families. I think as soon as we could process thoughts, our parents told us. I don't ever remember a point in time where I didn't know I was adopted. And I honestly never thought it was strange or felt I was lacking anything until I was older and people were saying, don't you feel like you were given up or something? I never had that. I never felt like that. So I think our parents did a good job of really making us feel like we were one unit, even though we weren't technically blood related. Yes. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks. Yeah. The original Brad and Angelina was my parents. Just kidding. <laughs> you said you were born in Korea. Your dad's Chinese. Your mom's Italian. Do you feel more connected to maybe one of those cultures or how connected do you feel to all three? We live in Hawaii and we grew up in Hawaii and there's a really big Asian population here. So I never, we probably felt more connected to the Asian culture and my dad's Chinese heritage. My mom was very accepting. That's how we were raised. My mom was from upstate New York and we didn't really go there that often. It was so far away. So we were mostly by my dad's culture. I remember going to China with my mom when I was really little and people were coming up being like, why are you with that white lady when I was little? So. so being part of the API community, did that affect how openly you could talk about your brother's autism or did you feel like it was always open that you could really talk about the issues that you have. I actually always felt more comfortable talking about my brother than issues I may have had that I felt growing up being Asian. I only felt really comfortable talking about it recently since it's become more acceptable to talk about things like that. I always kept it to myself. I would say things to my dad or my family or close friends, but I, it was never really talked about that openly. And with Chris and my mom being really focused on helping my brother, Chris was the center of attention always. So I was uh, always much more comfortable talking about my brother. 
So what was it like for you guys growing up in Hawaii? It was great. Like I said, a really huge Asian population. Everything's very influenced by so many Asian cultures here. So I think that was very helpful growing up. I didn't experience a ton of racism. I remember being in elementary school and someone making fun of my eyes, but it was like from another Asian kid, so, you know. <laughs> but it was really great. We had a really good childhood. That's cool. I'm always curious with people who grew up in Hawaii, do you feel more Hawaiian or more American? That's another minority group that yeah. their home was taken over. So I've always been very sensitive to Hawaiian culture and I don't even, I don't even really say aloha or mahalo because I just, I, and there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone I know says stuff like that, but I've always been very sensitive to other minority cultures and not wanting to step on anyone's toes or misrepresenting myself. So I don't really consider myself Hawaiian. I just live in Hawaii. I grew up here and I'm very thankful to have grown up here. Yeah, I've been learning a lot more about the Hawaiian community and I've been seeing a lot of videos on TikTok about how local Hawaiians would like tourists to not come anymore. Yeah, there's a um, lot of that on TikTok. Yeah, especially since COVID ended, there's been like a huge tourism bump. It's two-sided because like I mentioned, we sell at a hotel and so if there aren't any tourists, we don't really make us any money. But at the same time, if there are too many tourists, like there's this place on the island that's really, I'm not even going to say it on here, but I stopped going there because there's too many people and ruined it for a lot of the locals. So it's really a two-sided delicate thing because Hawaii runs so much on tourism, like a lot of the business here heavily run off of tourism. So it's, again, another tricky situation. Yeah. Um, I also grew up on an island that's very similar to Hawaii in the Southern Hemisphere. So mm. it's the same thing where tourism is such a big part of the economy now. And it, it would be really hard to just say, yeah, don't come here anymore. Right. <laughs> and But at the same time, there's fewer and fewer beaches that are accessible to the locals. And it hasn't been as bad. I think we have a law where the beaches is always public so you can't restrict people from accessing it. I remember going to Maui a few years ago and I was very surprised by how difficult it was to find a beach. Yeah, it's true. The beaches are totally overrun with people now. Like, I can't even tell you the last time I've been. I'm a, I'm a homebody too, but I avoid going places now where there's too many people. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's too bad. You said you lived in New York for a little bit. How was that different apart from the weather? I lived in New York for a little over 10 years. I moved there after college. I went to art school in Chicago and I love New York. I hope to retire there someday and I probably would have stayed there forever if I didn't decide on moving home to take care of Chris because every time Chris came to visit me in New York, it was a little too overstimulating for him. And Maui, everything's very spread out and there's not as much overstimulation. So Hawaii is a really good place for him. It just wasn't a good option for him. And New York is so expensive. It's kind of not very sustainable <laughs> for long-term living, especially for a big family. But I absolutely love New York. Yeah, I, I loved it. Do you feel represented by the term AAPI or is there a term that maybe you feel fits better? All these new things, I don't know that we didn't feel like we were allowed to think about that kind of stuff, but I've definitely been thinking about it more now that it's talked about so much more, but I guess so. I was just always saying I would, I'm Asian or check the <laughs> Korean box forms, yeah. so I guess so. Yeah, have you kind of maintained any links to Korean culture at all? Or The first time I experienced any sort of Korean culture, because I haven't actually been back there since I was adopted, was when I went to college in Chicago and my roommate, her and her family are Korean and her parents were from Korea, moved to St. Louis to start a business and a family. And that was my first ever experience having Korean 
info. <laughs> when I was what, 18, so it took 18 years to have any introduction to Korean culture. But then when I moved to New York, they have a really big Koreatown and stuff. So yeah, it took a while. Yeah, so you've been discovering more about it mm-hmm. as an adult rather yeah. than... Yeah. yeah, it's really embarrassing going to Korean restaurants and the people are trying to talk to me and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I don't know any Korean. Yeah, me too. I can't speak any Chinese. Yeah. I can't speak Chinese either. Does your dad speak? No, my grandfather, his dad does, but didn't get passed on. You had mentioned that you were more comfortable talking about your brother. Did you feel like mental health was something that was supported in your Asian community or did it feel like a taboo subject? My mom was always very open with that kind of stuff, but my dad's family, I think they were more reserved in talking about your feelings and things like that. My grandfather, my dad's dad, is very strict and emotionally, I think, totally closed off. My dad had a brother who was actually schizophrenic and killed himself. And we all knew that my dad's dad was very sad about it, but it was never really talked about. You know, his diagnosis and especially having Chris. My grandfather has never been very accepting of Chris, which is really surprising to me. Not that they had the same thing, but I've always thought that he would have a little bit more compassion and understanding. So I don't necessarily know if it was because of culturally that just wasn't spoken of, but that's always been a really big issue for me, just in in our family. Yeah, I think in Chinese culture, as far as I know, because I have a diluted version of Chinese culture anyways, Mm -hmm. but it's very much a taboo. We don't talk about feelings. I was just talking to my brother-in-law earlier today, and I was telling him that Chinese people don't tell each other they love each other. Yeah, yeah. That's not a thing. You show people. Like you'll do things that shows that you love them, mm. but you don't tell them. Feelings are just never discussed. <laughs> even the good feelings you don't really talk about, so right. the negative ones are right. even further <laughs> pushed away. Whenever I get emotional or something, I think my dad doesn't know how to deal with me. He's <laughs> like, emotions, ah! And I remember not too long ago, we were with my grandfather out and Chris was misbehaving and my grandfather was really angry and he was like, I told your dad he should have been sent out to China to get fixed or like that's something he would say sometimes. <laughs> Not nice. A lot of people are ignorant about you can't fix people. <laughs> <laughs> and fixing implies that they're broken or something's wrong with right, them. Yeah, right. and- Yeah, yeah. So I'm in subtle Asian mental health and I feel like so many people our age spend their entire lives learning how to decode their parents and their reactions. (laughs) Yeah. And this girl was talking about how her dad bought some kind of dessert and he didn't speak to her. She got home from college and her mom was like, he actually bought that for you. And she was so overcome with joy. Oh my God, he loves me. And while that's nice that he did that, I'm like, I'm not all up in my feels the same way she did because clearly her dad has zero emotional awareness. So it's like we learn to settle for the worst, tiniest crumb. Mm-hmm. And it really, it sucks. Yep. I kind of disagree with that because I think it depends where you grew up. I think if you grew up in the U.S., you have that expectation because all the white kids have their parents telling them they love them and they're awesome all the time. That just wasn't a thing in any of the families I knew. Mm-hmm. So, like, growing up, I don't think my dad ever said, I love you. Yeah. But I don't actually ever remember feeling I wish he would say it. The way he would show his love is, like, he would buy, let's say, a watermelon And he would take out all the seeds and cut it into pieces and then serve it or something. Or even with grapes, like he would take out the seeds and give it to Mm -hmm. it. Like he would do thoughtful things. And we always felt like we were loved. 
Yeah. I never had any question and I never felt like I wish he would express it in a different way. Okay. So I don't think that it's settling. I think it's just what you've come to expect based on your culture. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for people who grew up in a Western culture where, you know, everybody else is getting that and you're not. Because mm -hmm. then you feel like you're missing out on something. But because of where I grew up, that was normal. So I, I didn't feel like I was settling. And I still don't. I've heard that too, when your parents will do things, little things like that, so that it's like a little easier for you. Where I feel like I've struggled or where people that I know have struggled is when parents, in lieu of saying, I'm sorry, or talking out like, why do we disagree on this? Especially with our generation, it's this conflict of we can't self-actualize with our parents because they're very set in their ways and we grew up in a different culture and there's a lot of clashing and there's also a language barrier in a lot of cases. And so when you get into an argument and they just give you food, I understand that it comes from a good place, but food doesn't necessarily reflect the depth of our relationship and the depth of the kind of conversation that we have to have. But then I think it also goes back to maybe the way you express I don't know I don't know if I buy into the love language thing but maybe some people <laughs> are less concerned with verbalizing but yeah I think the issue I have is food being used as a detour or like a shortcut to the tough conversations yeah, yeah. I mean, someone de someone deceiving your grapes that's love I don't yeah. know I, <laughs> yeah yeah I get what you're saying though the situations that I've been describing they were just done out of the blue like we it wasn't like oh, we had a fight and then he took the grapes out. <laughs> it was just like, hey, I bought grapes and oh, I already yeah. took the seeds out. Because So yeah, I could see how that would be frustrating. Definitely talking about difficult things is not a skill that we acquire much in the Chinese community, mm -hmm. I would say. There's really a room for improvement there. For sure. And I think part of it is the strong gender roles as well. Mm -hmm. Especially men have a really hard time. Anything feelings, they're like, ooh, we don't want to go there. <laughs> I think there's a lot of trauma to being a man of color. I mean, there is being a woman of color like I will be the first to say that we do have it worse <laughs> but I think being a man of color it comes with being emasculated by white supremacy and white male patriarchy I think that can be very harmful so there's a lot of work that needs to be done there yeah yeah it's often seen as a show of weakness if yeah. you get mm -hmm. emotional mm -hmm. so they are always trying to keep it together and maybe if they don't talk about it it'll go away I think that's yeah. what they're hoping do you want to talk about what things you wish the AAPI could do better when it comes to understanding neurodivergence? Or disability. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a culture thing. Right. I think it's like a people, a human thing. Yeah. Because you can be any race and have a disability, so it's kind of everybody has some work to do. And the most not so great experiences it usually comes from children. That's because, you know, they're more outspoken, don't have any filters. Yet. Yeah. So how does your brother cope with those when it happens? Uh, he usually doesn't pick up on it unless it's like really blatant. I usually pick up on it first. And I unfortunately usually get a deer in the headlights type of reaction where I get really angry, but then I don't know how to deal with it, especially if the kid's parents are there. We've been at several birthday parties and I haven't really known the best way to... I usually end up doing nothing, which I regret later because I'm a tiger. I'm year of the tiger, so I'm I'm worried I'm gonna like, explode. So I just choose to not say anything rather than getting like really crazy. Even though sometimes I wish 
I had spoken up. I, every time I wish I had said something rather than nothing. But Yeah. Uh, but Chris is actually, I think because we've grown up watching, having pretty much no male Asian leads, one of his biggest insecurities besides having a disability is that he's Asian. He's always saying he's white. And he's like, well, I have really pale skin. I'm like, well, there are a lot of pale Asians out there, but you're still Asian. <laughs> so he's always saying he's white, which is really sad. But I know it's because of the culture that we grew up in and um, all the shows that he's watching. He has nobody like him, really, that is anything like him. And the people that are like him on TV are very high-functioning. They're not anywhere on the same side of the autism spectrum as he is, so it's he basically has nobody that he's ever seen that's like him on TV. Yeah. You know? What are some things that maybe people overlook about someone like Chris, or maybe perspectives or things that you've learned from Chris, maybe? I've made a joke that he's playing is some like really long con on all of us, because 90% of the day, He's in his own world, in his head, talking to himself. And so sometimes you think that he's really not paying attention at all. But whenever I'm out with friends or we've been interviewed for a newspaper article, he will suddenly show you that he's been listening the entire time and uh, is the expert at embarrassing me or saying something really embarrassing only when it's the worst time possible. (laughs) (laughs) So I just don't underestimate people in general. For sure. Yeah. You mentioned there were several instances where you wish you had said something and you didn't, which is so common for all of us. We always get mad and we're like, why didn't I say something. So to those people, what do you wish you had said? It's funny, we had this interaction where we take Chris to swim and there was this young boy, he was probably like 10, and whenever he was there, he was always picking on Chris and kind of bullying him. And, and his mom was there. I was so frustrated that she was either not picking up on what he was doing or just not doing anything. And every time I would be like, oh my God, why don't I say something? And I'd rehearse what I would say to her in my head and be like, kids in a-hole or whatever but I, I wouldn't really say that but and we stopped going because it, i was not dealing with it well so i my reaction was just to stop going to the pool and then a year later a mutual friend said oh i really want you and chris to meet my friend her son has autism and he, she pointed over at the lady and i was like oh my god that's the mother of that boy mm-hmm. and she comes over and i was like does your son play tennis and I was like, can I see a picture? Because I didn't want to go out and accuse her just in case it wasn't. But I knew it was the same person. And she's, oh, this is my son. I said, you know, we used to come and go swimming and your son kept on picking on Chris. So we stopped coming. And she was like, oh, my God. She's like, he was recently diagnosed with autism. And I think he was maybe picking on Chris because he was picking up on things that he maybe does himself and was making him uncomfortable. So he was taking it out on Chris, which and I started crying because I was, yeah. <laughs> So it's just kind of funny and something that I've learned along the way is even if you are having a bad interaction with someone, you don't know, like for the boy, for example, you don't know where that's coming from. And it turns out he was more similar to Chris than I had ever known. I think I totally diverted from your original question. But (laughs) yeah, I've also been trying to figure out if it's a nurture thing or if kids are just naturally born jerks sometimes. I don't know. Because, I mean, I have kids of friends that are really good people and their kids are scared of Chris. And then we have other kids that don't, I don't really know what the answer is. And I'm totally getting off track here. That's okay. (laughs) Just all the thoughts I've had around kids. Because like I said, all the not so great interactions, majority have come from kids. And so I was curious because a lot of kids are sometimes scared of Chris. So I'm not really sure where that comes from. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I would hope that the adults in their life would help them through that fear and say, hey, you know, it's okay. You don't have to be scared. But it's possible they just scare. Like all the kids were scared of my dad when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know why. I guess 
because he's not the most talkative person, so mm. maybe because he was always silent, they were a little scared of him. But every single time he would pick up a kid, he loves kids. But as soon as he would pick them up, they would start crying. <laughs> and kids are really good at picking up on the subtlest differences that even adults don't pick up on. Like if Chris isn't doing anything that weird, I see it at our jewelry table all the time. But they're always just staring at him because they can tell something's a little different. And that kind of all ties in together with having people like Chris working jobs where they can't be seen is because they're either at a program with other people with disabilities, a kind of away from, you know, main society. So these kids aren't really exposed to people that are different and so they're scared. But our nephews, they love Chris and they're always asking how's Uncle Chris and they're so nice to him and I think that's because they grew up with him and so they're not scared. But it kind of ties into why we're starting this business to have more people like Chris out doing regular jobs so people can interact with people like Chris and it's not weird. The bigger goal is to inspire other businesses to hire people like Chris for like what I've been calling front of the house yeah. jobs. Customer-facing you know. jobs. Yeah. Yeah, really important. Because sure. people don't know what they don't know. And right, exactly. People are always scared of things they don't know. Yeah. So for anybody who's out there and who is really inspired by this story, mm -hmm. because it's, it's so awesome that you're doing this, and you guys are making really great stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who could and who want to create similar businesses. What would be your advice to them? Just start somewhere just start somewhere. I think a lot of people get caught up with being scared to start because they start thinking about all the reasons why they would fail, but then all the good things that could happen. And just taking that first step, I think, is the hardest thing. And that could be for anything, whatever you're afraid of. It's just taking that first step, I think, is the... Yeah. Awesome. And along the way, as you've been developing the business and setting up your business, have you had any mentors that have helped guide you through the process or did you just have to figure it out on your own? I've had a jewelry business for about 10 years, so I have a little bit of experience, but I'm totally playing it by, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> really have a mentor for this. It would be great, but I, I don't have one. I've definitely learned a lot, made mistakes, but that's the whole process. My dad's, well... He's not that I asked for it, but he's my business advisor. Self-appointed business advisor. Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Yeah, that kind of ties back into the, yeah. Instead yeah. of asking how I am, he said, how much did you make today? Yeah. I feel like whenever I say, oh, dad, I got a new job or I bought something, it's always, oh, how much did you make or how much did you pay for it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly my time. That's very funny. So what would you say allyship looks like to you? How can people be better allies? I think starting with having an open mind, we've had a lot of great interactions from total strangers that want to help us with whatever. So I, I think that comes from having an open mind and being open to different things that you haven't experienced, I guess. Have there been people who have been unexpected allies to you? I guess strangers, strangers that have met us at our pop-up or whatever, and then, you know, given me their information, be like, I genuinely want to help you, things like that. Yeah, we met some really wonderful that we didn't know before that want to help. And the TikTok community has been very unexpected because, you know, sometimes on social media, it's like such negative stuff, but just had some really great interactions on TikTok. <laughs> what has been the most rewarding part of starting Depot Market and the community and everything? I still don't really understand TikTok, but I didn't expect to have so many messages from other families that are like ours. So that has been very, can't even really put into words, hearing from other families like ours you know thank you for showing me what you're doing or and emailing us for help we've gotten emails asking for advice and help just being able to help 
one other person is very meaningful. So it's been very overwhelming, but in the best way to hear from, I guess I didn't realize how big the disability community is on social media or something. So that's probably been the close part is being able to connect with other people like us that are going through. I don't really know very many other people like us going through the same things in my inner social circle. Like nobody really understands. So it's really cool to connect with people that do get it. Yeah. One thing I was wondering if you would mind elaborating on is what are some comments that you've had that maybe weren't meant in a bad way, but were insensitive? Like, how can people do better? Because I think a lot of times people make comments without really thinking about it, and they don't really know how that lands on people. So do you have any, you know, PSA, please stop doing this? <laughs> Someone very close to me that is from a different generation who calls people like Chris handicapped. And I just found out that that term comes from like someone on the street holding their pad out for money. So it's like, you know, like a oh. beggar kind of. And it's and I've been in the disability community for my entire life and I've never heard anybody in that community use that term about another person in that community. And it's a person that I haven't told yet that uh, we don't use that term anymore, but it's, they're not doing it in a mean way at all. It's yeah. not meant to be yeah. mean or disrespectful. It's just that they don't know. I haven't corrected them yet. Yeah, but maybe they'll listen to this podcast and they'll find out. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, I always feel weird. I don't know. I guess it depends on your relationships, but it can definitely be tricky to be like, hey, actually, when you said that, it was sensitive. Yeah, and, and she didn't mean it, but I heard it the first time and I was like, oh, someone should say something. And then I was like, but I don't want it to be me. Yeah. Sometimes you have to preserve your energy. What I've learned from this talk is that I need to work on standing up for myself or speaking out more. I mean, it can be hard. We're all working on doing better at that. And that's true. It's easy to think, oh yeah, I'm going to stand up for myself. And I am not a meek person. Everybody would expect me to stand up for myself. But there's been many times when things would happen and I would have the deer in the headlight reaction. And then days later, I'll be kicking myself like, why didn't I say anything? I have all these clever lines that I could have come back with and I just did nothing. Why? That's me, 100%. That's me. <laughs> yeah. If insults were written, I would slay. If you had time to write them, yeah. I know. If everybody just communicated via text all the time it would be over yeah but we're all trying to figure out the best ways to talk about these things and a lot of it for example if you're not in the disabled community you maybe don't know about or have never thought about personally i'm ashamed to say but i'm just now beginning to learn about disabilities and what words are not cool to say and so is lizzo <laughs> yeah that's right maybe Maybe it could be something like, would you mind using this other term instead? I know. It sounds so easy to say it like that, too. I just haven't done it. Yeah. It's especially hard when it's people you're really close to. Because it, it feels like it will throw them on a loop or something. But it's probably just us getting in our own heads. Totally. That's exactly yeah. what it is. It's overthinking <laughs> it. I think in general, people would be understanding. Especially you know. if they're close to you. People on TikTok have said some nasty things that at first I was like, huh? So ABA is a type of therapy for people with autism and Chris does do ABA therapy. Someone on TikTok was like, ABA is BS and F ABA. It was such a, like, an aggressive comment rather than being toned down a little. Because we live in Hawaii, ABA is very new. We only learned what it was a couple years ago. And so I was shocked to read that comment. But if someone does feel like that, I want to take it seriously because I, I know I don't know everything about autism. And so I looked it up and it turns out there are a lot of people with autism who think ABA is abusive. 
and I had never heard that before. And so I want to hear different opinions on things. And it's really adjusted how I think the therapy Chris is going into and how it could be adjusted. And we can, even if it comes across as someone's trying to correct you or tell you something different. I mean, it's nice if they say it in a nice way, but I definitely open to hearing different thoughts and opinions on stuff. So it's good to hear different because that's how we learn. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. As long as they're trying to communicate something that is helpful. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> Not nasty. Yeah, I, I post music stuff. And I had one comment a couple weeks ago that said, please stop singing. Something along those lines. And I was like, okay, delete. <laughs> and then I had another one who is in some of the same music communities. And she followed me. And then she started critiquing my singing in the comments. And like, unrequested feedback? Block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not ask for your opinion. Yeah. So those definitely would not listen to, would not recommend. Those weird people out there. And so much time on their hands too. Stuff like that. I know. I was tempted to do one of those response videos, but they just want attention. I don't want to give them any attention. So I just deleted block. And you have to know that whatever anybody is saying to you has nothing really to do with you. And what's helped me on TikTok is just knowing they're going to leave that. I'll remember it forever, but they're just going to keep scrolling. Yeah, that's why I just delete them. I don't want to ever see the comment again because then I'll just get mad. So I'm just going to delete and block and forget about them. I've learned that blocking is a very useful tool. And even unfollowing. That's yeah. a really good power move. Yeah. Before we go to the final section, is there anything else you'd love to talk about that we didn't touch on? Um... Just really thankful you guys reached out. It's very cool. We love what you're doing. Oh, same, same. Yeah, very cool. Very cool that uh, more people are speaking up, having a voice. It's really important. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. We're going to do the rapid fire questions, which we ask each of our guests. So these are just like one word or one phrase. Don't really think oh, okay. too much about it. Selling good fun, so don't stress. <laughs> What's an Asian food that you should like, but don't? Oh, well, I'm vegetarian, so probably a lot. I can't think of anything on the top of my head. I'm going to be terrible at this game. I guess any meat item. What's an Asian food that you'll never get tired of? Rice. That was my answer, too. Sherry and I have talked about this because we could never give up rice. I had an experience in New York at work. I was in the elevator with a coworker who is another minority. People that I don't know were always asking me if I was from Queens because they're such a big Asian community. And the first thing he says is, so do you live in Queens? And I was like, no, I don't live in Queens. And then I was carrying my lunch that I just picked up. And he's like, what'd you get for lunch? Rice? And I was so angry, but I was like, yes, I have rice. <laughs> I guess I picked up rice. I was like, so I was fuming. I was so angry, but I was like. <laughs> but it's true. It's true, yeah. Completing that stereotype, yeah. Rice is good. <laughs> I don't know how people just eat meat with no rice. Yeah. 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 What was the first language you learned? Oh, English. I know mostly just English, a little sign language and Spanish. That's about it. And back to the rice thing, McDonald's in Hawaii serves rice for breakfast. What? Yeah. <laughs> so much better than what we have, like biscuits or whatever. Yeah. What is a stereotype about your culture that is not true or does not apply to you? Oh, I'm not going to say that I'm not smart, but I'm not book smart. Kids in high school try to copy off me and I'm like, you really don't want to copy. I'm not going to have the right <laughs> answer. I wouldn't say I'm book smart. What's the most annoying stereotype you've had to deal with? I guess just a lot of the Asian cat calling is really uncomfortable and constantly being spoken to in Chinese. Not that I have obviously anything against the Chinese culture, but people just yelling out hello in Chinese, but 
they're doing it in not a pleasant way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we let you go, do you want to let our users know where they can find you, where they can find Depot Market? Yep. We have a website, then we sell our jewelry on there. It's depomarket.org, D-E-P-O-M-A-R-K-E-T. Then we're on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I have one final rapid fire question, which okay. is what is your favorite item on the Depo Market store right now? Oh, we have so much stuff. We started with Chris selling origami jewelry. So that's probably the most meaningful to us because he makes the entire thing from you know, start to finish. So the origami pieces are very special because that's what we started with originally. Yeah. And then expanded from there. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending the time chatting with us today. We Thank you. This was so nice. It's so nice. I love what you're doing. Very, very cool. Thank you. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. This is the coolest thing ever. Awesome. <laughs> Here are our takeaways for today's episode. Number one, when disabled people like Chris are kept away from customer-facing jobs, it further perpetuates stereotypes and fear. Depot Market thinks that having disabled employees interact with customers is the best way to help able-bodied people get to know them, empathize with them, and truly give them the space they deserve in our communities. Number two, whatever it is that you want to do, just start somewhere, even if you're scared of failing, because whatever might fail might also create something amazing for your community. Number three, don't underestimate people just because they're disabled. With a few adjustments, they are just as capable provided a conducive environment. Number four, Finding community in our shared experience is invaluable. For Tiffany, meeting so many other families like hers and exchanging tips and stories on TikTok has been an unexpected but very welcome gift. If you're feeling alone in your struggles, there's a good chance that there's a community out there waiting for you. Go find it. And lastly, number five, Chris has never seen himself represented on TV shows that he loves to watch, and that lack of representation as a disabled Asian man has made it hard for him to celebrate his own ethnicity. This is why representation matters. To celebrate the holiday season and to support Depot Market, we are doing a giveaway. If you would like to enter, go comment on this episode's post on Instagram or TikTok, and be sure to follow both Nuances Pod and Depot Market on whichever platform it is. Or you can leave us a review on any platform and send us a screenshot at nuancespodcast at gmail.com. You will be entered in a draw and we'll announce the winner at the end of the season. Once again, thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll tune in next week for another Nuance Conversation.